Episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike. One co-host, also Mike, is here. Another Oscar race checkpoint. Talking about strike news. Talking about trailers. Talking about recapping some films. And we are wrapping up what happened on the TIFF stage, Michael. Yes, I cannot wait for the day when we actually have a strike resolution (laughs) Oscar race checkpoint, and we can talk about the bright future of the industry. We're still kind of prefacing all of this with. You know, will they negotiate? How that will they negotiate? And I'm glad you're here to break it down for us, as uh, mm. as you know, Mike Esquire. But uh, <laughs> it, it is getting long in the tooth, and I, I feel for the uh, I feel for the old dudes who are just getting way too antsy and want to restart their talk shows. But guys, calm down, still. Yeah, Come on. I don't feel for them. All right, but I don't. <laughs> well, I get, I could get it. I get it. At least I, I get it a little bit. But the WGA AM. PTP negotiations are supposed to resume today, Michael. What does that mm-hmm. mean? Is it uh, is it like pre-negotiated negotiations, or what's happening here? Yeah, uh, I don't know how much of an Esquire is going to do me good on this, but I'll cover what I've been reading and what's happening thus far. Like you said, uh, we're recording this on Wednesday the 20th, and if anything breaks today, we'll either give you a breaking news show or we'll cover it in the next episode, depending on the severity, but... There's a few strike-related things to update, and the first of those is that the AMPTP and WGA do have talks scheduled for today, Wednesday, September 20th. Variety has reported that according to the AMPTP anyway, it was the WGA who requested this meeting. We know how the AMPTP has played the uh, you know the, the journalist in the trade so far, so mm. take that for what it's worth. I, uh, I don't trust oh. the journalists in the trades reporting the AMPTP <laughs> stuff. Yeah. I think uh, the AMPTP has proven themselves to be a little little less than non-biased. And I don't and trust how they're playing the media either. It's just like... It's not going well. Not the going well. I think they're playing the media. But uh, yeah. the talk shows, the other thing that you did hit on there, uh, though there were a couple who were originally scheduled to go forward with their fall debuts in spite of the WGA strike. Uh, those have now reversed course and have the Wednesday meeting as an easy scapegoat to explain why they are doing so, despite the fact that they never should have tried debuting in the first place. Drew Barrymore took the most heat, but her daytime talk show was only one of several, which had at first decided to go forward with their season premieres this week. And in doing so, took an absolute beating in the press and social media. Uh, Barrymore, The Talk, Real Time with Bill Maher, these are all struck talk shows, all of which had announced they would be returning despite the strike, all of which were taken to task by the public for doing so all of which have since reversed their position. Now, why have they reversed their position? No, it's it's not because they've been vilified in the press and in social media. That didn't happen. Of course not. You're silly. No, 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 no. It's because of the Wednesday meeting, of course, which we didn't even know would happen until it was announced a couple days ago. But because it was announced, now the talk shows can take their time in coming back. It's not because people were outraged, Mike. No, never. A public opinion will never do that to anybody so uh, look i've heard some discourse not to not to play devil's advocate like i'm al pacino right now but i wonder if i wonder if they are you know trying to get back to work for their iatsi folks and on all their staff and to a degree i mean you could you could make the argument and i've heard it made that drew barrymore might be just trying to get all her all her people back to work i mean that's a relatively new show i mean the bill maher show doesn't make a lot of sense that just seems like an old man just wants to do what he wants to do but, are you saying bill maher is out of touch yeah god <laughs> but the drew barrymore show it's new maybe she's got a lot of younger crew people who knows i i, I don't know i don't doubt the impetus for the decision to come back originally comes from that sort of place of meaning well by your own staff. I, I do not doubt that at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just can't. <laughs> you, you can't. If you're a struck show, if you're part of these guilds, you can't cross the picket line. Right. Like, yeah, it's a difficult decision to make, but that's that's the whole point of solidarity and unions and stuff. You just can't do it. Everybody's got to be willing to make the sacrifice yeah. for the greater good. 
And to the WGA's credit and to the SAG credit, I mean, there's been some creative stuff coming out about how they're able to keep their coffers relatively full for those in need. Right. Uh, the, we've heard about these accounts and like the SAG is doing all these wonderful uh, uh uh, auctions on eBay for these experiences, and they've gone. They become memified, and the memes are absolutely hilarious. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the, once, once the internet got hold of the, some of the actual eBay items that are up for auction, they started making their own. And like one of them was like, "Aubrey Plaza will just straight up fucking kill you for nine thousand dollars." <laughs> it's like hilarious stuff. But they have these experience. Like uh, Jeremy Allen White's auctioning off the the actual apron he wore during the bear and stuff like that, and the Good. experiences. And John Lithgow will do a painting of you and stuff like that so the (laughs) sag is able to do that to keep their they keep their coffers full and wga has the showrunners matching abilities for different gifts and stuff that are attributed to their whatever plan to help keep their writers on the lower rungs that need help and service so there there are creative ways and creative things being done to help out these struck people who are still out of work i'm sure it's not cutting into cutting into their deficiencies enough though i mean i'm sure a i'm lot sure of i'm people positive are, yes i yeah. agree so yeah. but but you can't show weakness to the amptp which right. is what they all did here these talks also uh you know and this is probably unfair but i'm still gonna say it you're drew barrymore hmm. maybe just pay your staff <laughs> i don't know sure. i don't think drew barrymore is hurting for money right i don't know that bill maher is hurting for money it's just my two cents i obviously am speaking out of turn i don't know their financial situations but Anyway, uh, that's that's what that is. The third part of this strike update here is that Marvel's VFX workers have done the necessary steps with the National Labor Relations Board to formally join IATSE in what could signify a giant industry step for all VFX workers and strengthen the IATSE union membership even more so. There are rumors that Disney's VFX workers will soon follow suit. Well, I mean, I've seen clear evidence of this now that the Ahsoka VFX in Episode 6 are extraordinary. Uh, until the crab people show up and it looks like cartoon <laughs> crabs from the little mermaid for whatever reason crab and I, people what the hell's going on i mean so it, it's it's erratic let's just say marvel's vfx workers are erratic right now this disney's vfx workers are erratic right now same thing it's all the mouse uh, on disney plus there for that jokes context but this is a big mm. deal right i mean the the vfx workers have been exploited we've we We've heard a lot about this over the years, and they need their own branch uh, in, mm-hmm. in, in this guild. Absolutely. They tried unionizing on their own. Marvel refused to acknowledge them, so they went through the National Labor Relations Board to join up with IATSE, which is already a formally recognized union, obviously. Uh, I think this is the right thing to do. It is incredibly difficult to get your own union off the ground, and even though union busting is you know, a, a crime and you can't do it, it happens literally all the time. Just look at what's going on with Starbucks right now and the people trying to unionize there and how difficult that is to get off the ground. Yeah, this is a big step forward, I think, and it's huge for IATSE, too. I mean, strengthen your membership. Get more strength in numbers there as well. And don't we think that IATSE is going to be the next strike? That's that what, I mean, not only us, but that seems to be what's, what everybody who is striking now is intimated in a lot of interviews. If you read these people, they seem to be talking either directly or indirectly on the picket lines to IATSE and being like trying to give them the heads up that, hey, they, they're going to come after you next. This could be you next. So, yeah. again, like solidarity across the board is what's going to win this. And I think, again, I will say that it seems like the AMPTP is just getting brutalized again in the public forum and on social media i i I, the social media has really changed the game between the 2008 strike and this strike you would hope so but then these belligerent billionaires can probably just sit and be rich for a while they can wait it out again once whenever even if these the amptp and the studios give all these guilds everything the guilds are asking for it's not going to change the power dynamic right well, we'll have to wait and see. I do want to renew a prop bet, but first okay. I will go over the fact that you won a prop bet of fake money from a while back, really from our first episode of Prop Bets. Nice. You said you would hammer the over on the strike lasting into December, but basically I gave you an over-under on September 15th, again on Halloween. So September 15th at minus 300, said you'd hammer it. And uh, you never exactly set a dollar amount, but whatever hammering means for you and your wallet, you won. Let's just say I won $100 on it. Okay. Even odds for (laughs) Halloween, 
that's what I had given you. You said it, you thought it was going into December. You said you would, you know, you would press some phony money on that. However, if I gave you the same minus 300 on Halloween for, you know, newly minted mm. odds there, what would you do? Would you so say over pre-ha- under Halloween? Pre-Halloween is minus 300? Pre-Halloween minus 300. For the strike to end, what's beyond Halloween? Let's just say it's plus 300. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it'd probably be plus 200, but that's fine. Plus 200. Uh, I said plus 200. <laughs> that's what I said. <laughs> I I want to believe it's going to be pre-Halloween at this point, and I do think the AMPTP has kind of lost a ton of face in this battle. Mm. Yeah, I'll be optimistic this time. I'll say oh pre-Halloween. God. Yeah, I'll do I'll do 300 to win 100 on pre-Halloween. That's fantastic news. So your thought that it was going to go into December if I gave you if I gave you minus 1500 odds that this thing goes into September. Boy, that doesn't make sense. September or December? December. If it goes into December and you're going to give me what odds? Eh, minus a thousand. Minus a thousand that it goes into December? Yeah. That's your I'm favorite not number. It. Not touching it. Oh, wow. Restraint. I, mean, it, I, I, I hope I'm hopeful it ends soon. I, I don't want it to get into December, even though that's what I've always originally thought. But it's I don't know how much longer I don't know, man. These these guilds are not wavering. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know how much longer the uh the studios wanna be vilified like this. Wow. This is the most optimistic <laughs> our pessimistic show has ever begun. This is wonderful. All right. Awards Starting news. Starting on a high note. Awards news. The big news <laughs> tweeted out last night was that Lily Gladstone will be campaigned in lead actress for Killers of the Flower Moon, an exclusive from Clayton Davis at Variety. So what does this do to the race now in lead actress? Well, Lily Gladstone jumps into Clayton's five of Anjanu Ellis Taylor from Origin, Sandra Huler of uh, Anatomy of a Fall, Carrie Mulligan of Maestro, Natalie Portman of May December, and Emma Stone of Poor Things. Feinberg's forecast has Annette Benning and Margot Robbie in his five thus far, with uh, major threats like Greta Lee and uh, possibilities like Juliette Binoche, and there, there's your Helen Mirren, Michael. Fantasia Barino is still to factor in from The Color Purple. Uh, a lot of big names like Jessica Chastain may lay in wait uh, for a couple different films, Mother's Instinct and Memory with Saoirse Ronan of Foe and, and Kaylee Spiney of Priscilla, etc., etc. Michael, do you think Lily Gladstone kind of walks into a nomination here? And if so, who does she bump out? What's your five? You're going to ask me for my predictions? Yeah, I want you to predict. Like this that? is a prediction. This is a prediction segment. Good we could God. Just like, I mean, it's kind of a prediction segment. I set you up fairly thoroughly. I, st- <laughs> I still think uh, Sandra Huller is going to be there. Okay. I, uh, I guess Emma Stone because of all the noise she's making. But, yeah, I would expect Lily Gladstone. Mulligan, I still think, will be there. So that's four of my five. Okay. Um. I, I don't know for that fifth. I like that I'm the only person. I'm going to call it brave enough, but we all know it's stupid enough to hold tight to Helen Mirren for Golda. Uh, oh, come on. <laughs> I'm going to probably abandon that that prediction. That yeah. probably won't be what I stick with. But uh, So Mulligan, Stone, Gladstone, Robbie, and Huller, I guess. Wow. That's my five. Maybe maybe replace Robbie with Kaylee Spiney. Anjanu Ellis-Taylor. You'll have to wait and see her performance. I just don't know enough about Origin yet. Yeah, right. other than it's gotten very high marks. Right. Clayton has her as his number one. Yeah. You never know. That's that's incredible. But I don't know. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna ask you to predict your five, but I will ask you to predict where do you think Lily Gladstone's lead actress odds are right now? Yeah, that's that's tough because we had we had like a plus was it plus like two thousand plus twenty to one. Yeah, originally to have her listed as lead actress because everyone thought she was going to go supporting. And yet, I think she was like plus 300 for supporting or something like that, or plus 110. And this is the opposite. Yeah, this is like the opposite effect of when we warned you about those odds when we were doing that show with David Long. I, you know, 
the casino will gladly take your money at 20 to 1 or 25 to 1 if they're so sure that, you know, the it'll never happen. But if you were walked up to the counter and you put your money down on Lily Gladstone to win Best Actress at 25 to 1, you, have, you might have a golden ticket on your hand right now. Now, Lily Gladstone and Sandra Huller, they're new to the category. Those performances got to really be exceptional, like next level exceptional mm-hmm. to necessarily win it. I mean, nominations are... They matter a great deal to us, of course. Emma Stone from Poor Things winning her second. Again, it's hard to argue for her there. I mean, Carrie Mulligan has always been my hunch in this category, just mm-hmm. based on 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 Maestro, and then the marketing kind of confirmed it. Annette Benning, I would about, be... We still don't know about uh, the color purple. Fantasia's out there. Exactly. So we, we picked her in the past when we were 100% accurate, so why don't we just yep. stick with her? No, because we have to become <laughs> less accurate now. Right. I don't know. I don't know what this is going to mean. I do think lead actress is rolling like 10 deep now. I, I could do. see I, I could see Stone Gladstone, Mulligan, Hooler like as a big 4, but how do you not put Robbie in that mix the way Barbie's done, but Annette Benning obviously overdue, Anjanu Ellis Taylor just with rapturous reviews. So that's that's a big 7. Mm-hmm. And then you have Natalie Portman, which could go either way, I would say, for May, December. I, mean, I think oh, that performance is getting a lot of praise. Greta Lee is is probably the the one that gets hurts the most here. So maybe it's eight. It sucks what's happening to past lives. Yeah, eight deep. And then Fantasia Barino and Spiny from, from Priscilla. That's like ten deep. That's ten yeah. legit major, That's major great. names that were – in the in play to win the lead actress category going back never mind tiana taylor and favorites like her and jessica chastain and etc etc all right if you were the house if you were the vegas book what would you put lily gladstone's odds at for best actress and then separately what do you think the best actress odds are for her right now it's really a flex for killers of the flower moon i was probably supposed to answer this a while ago it's a flex for them to put her in this category confident that she's going to crack into such a deep deep that gives me hope that killers of the flower moon is taking themselves very seriously as a best picture i mean we knew they were taking themselves seriously as a best picture contender but like now it makes me think we could win this and i think they think that she could win this right so that's what i'm trying to say i just can't speak I would I would say she's probably still like a plus 600, 700 in there. Okay. That's what you would put him on or that's what you're guessing it's at? I'm guessing that's the line, but I'm uh, maybe it is a plus five, four or 500. Before I let you know the actual odds, what place would you think she's at right now? Oh, boy. According to Odds Checker. I'm not sure. I mean, Emma is Emma Stone best? Margot Robbie, they're probably pulling in a lot of bets on Margot Robbie. Just based on the name of Barbie, Sandra Huller. I can't. I can't remember these odds. Going back, she's to in that. the top. She's firmly in the top ten. You listed off the top ten. I'll give you. She's firmly in the top ten. What place in the top ten do you think she's? Oh jeez. Oh jeez. Five. She is in second place right now. Oh my god. Yep. Only behind Emma Stone. She is ahead of the likes of Carrie Mulligan, Sandra Huller, and uh, Fantasia Barino, who round off the top five. Her Samson. odds. Way her odds, uh, plus one sixty two to plus one seventy five. Holy shnikes! Yeah, Vegas. I was shocked by that myself. Vegas is thinking she's got a shot to win. I mean, ahead of Carrie Mulligan is kind of like whoa. (laughs) This is the job. Red flag to me. Look, the job we need to get is working for the odds makers in Vegas, and we get then we get to go see the film festival movies early. That's what we're angling for, man. That's what all this all this hard work, this and my WNBA obsession, that's what I'm trying to get us to. What? What are you bringing me into the WNBA obsession? I mean, I like the WNBA. We were just reminiscing on the good basketball. This is how we know we're old. Anyway. I think you watching me gamble on something would make you pass out. It absolutely would. Absolutely. But okay, Michael, festival news. The big news from this past weekend is that American Fiction has won the TIFF Audience Award. Yeah. This is incredible. We have American Fiction starring Jeffrey Wright, you know, starring uh, Tracy Ellis Ross. 
I think uh, I think this movie has Issa Rae, etc. Great cast there. Um, Mr. Brown. Oh, my God. From Wave. Sterling K. Brown. Thank you. Loaded cast. I think this movie was a crowd pleaser, which which tells you it's probably going to be a best picture contender. And Tiff has got a great track record. I mean, you went over it last episode, 13 of the last 14 Tiff Audience Awards winners have been nominated for Best Picture. Five of the last 14 have won it. Overall, overall seven Tiff Audience Award winners have won Best Picture. Now, it's no longer called the Grolsch Award, even yeah. though it was a fun pun in, in the last episode title. But this, this this matters a great deal, and it also matters about the runners-up. I probably should have done research on that. The Holdovers was the first runner-up with the boy and the heron in, in, in third there, Michael. So we kind of had our top three correct. We just had them in the wrong order. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't catch the ticket at the Kentucky Derby with the place in the show. That being said, you did put 100 fake dollars on American fiction. Listen, I am stunned that I haven't lost money on these prop bets yet. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that I broke even on that, $100 at 5 to 1 to get my 500 back, that's a total win. Did I give you that extra 50 that you're begging no, for, I, like I Oliver re- Twist? <laughs> <laughs> Please, sir. I did. Uh, I refinagled my uh, my expenses there. I also did mm-hmm. look up the Grolsch Award prior to titling last episode, and I knew going into titling it that Grolsch was no longer the sponsor, but I didn't care. I just liked the word. It's a fun word. Grosh. Um, it, it is a fun word. I, I this, this correlation between the TIFF Audience Award winning and the Oscars Best Picture chances can't be ignored. We also have I've already seen can have success there, or, or at least uh, Anatomy of the Fall have success on the can stage. So let's talk about a prop bet in this way. The initial Feinberg forecast is out. It covers 10 categories. Picture, director, the four acting, the two screenplay, animated, and documentary feature. American Fiction, after winning at TIFF, is currently 7th in Best Picture, 7th in Director, 6th in Lead Actor, 11th in Supporting Actor for Sterling K. Brown, and 5th in Adapted Screenplay. Mm. Anatomy of a Fall won the Palm d'Or at Cannes. On the forecast, it's 8th in Picture, 8th in Director, 5th in Lead Actress, and 4th in Original Screenplay. Here's the bet. I'm giving you a spread for this one for the first time. I want to see how this works. Hmm. Anatomy of, a, in terms of the big eight category Oscar noms. So just the big eight, the, the four acting, two screenplay, picture director. Okay. Anatomy of a Fall, total noms in those eight categories, plus 0.5 versus American Fiction. Minus 150. American Fiction, total noms in those eight categories, minus 0.5 against Anatomy of a Fall, Plus 120. So basically, will American fiction have more than one nom more in those eight categories than Anatomy of a Fall? That's tough because now you're betting on you're betting on the screenplays, correct? You said the screenplays? Yeah, screenplays, four acting categories, picture director. Yeah, you're betting on supporting categories there too. Because mm-hmm. I think Jeffrey Wright and Sandra Huller are probably a push. Mm-hmm. I, I would guess. I would guess the screenplays are probably a push. Okay. But there's that could go either way. Picture director is where picture director and and supportings is where this bet is won. Fiction probably has more momentum in picture so right now. Just outline it again. So Sterling K. Brown is closest as a supporting. So American, American Fiction, Fiction, American Fiction, seventh in picture, seventh in director, sixth in lead actor, eleventh in supporting actor, fifth in adapted screenplay. Anatomy of a Fall, eighth in picture, so right behind it. Eighth in director, right behind American Fiction. Fifth in lead actress. Uh, what did I say? Jeffrey Wright was sixth. And fourth, an original screenplay, adapted screenplay for uh, American fiction is fifth. This is a devious bet because yes. it's a devious line because you're yes. trying to get me to put – if you put, get me to put any money on this, it's like get me to put <laughs> money on a roulette wheel where ha- you know half of it is a free square or whatever. That's right. Because any money is likely to lose. There's more categories that it looks like American fiction could fill in, but it seems like Anatomy of a Fall is a stronger bet in 
less categories. And you're also making me bet on Amazon and their awards people, mm-hmm. which is not easy to do. But it's nominations, that being said. Yep. But they've struggled. They've struggled of late sure have. in particular. No doubt. Uh, Neon has known how to play it. I'm still going to go American Fiction because I would okay. guess. I would guess. I would I would guess that a supporting actor could probably show up there. I would I would think that uh, screenplay is more solid. Justine Trier, yeah, I mean I guess she could go screenplay and director, but that would be that'd be a big ask. Be a big ass. I'm guessing they're both gonna. Here's the thing. I'm guessing they're both gonna be even. Like, what 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 odds would you give me for a push? No, 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 no. If if they push, then Anatomy of a Fall wins because it's plus point five. On the plus point five, and if the because it would be if they let's say have both three noms, then you factor in the line. Anatomy of a Fall has three point five. Because this of the is line. just complete. <laughs> Throw my brain brain in a blender. Mush. That's this, why I put the odds on Anatomy of a Fall. This and the is plus terrible line. podcasting. Just the worst. It's a total degenerate addict and somebody who's trying to be a degenerate addict. I'm trying to slowly corrupt you. You this think great podcast? You think I'm problems. trying to be a degenerate? No, I think addict. I'm trying. I don't think, think I'm trying to make you a degenerate. <laughs> you don't think I am solely doing this? For 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 you and you alone <laughs> to scratch my itch. Oh my god, it's not working apparently. With all the stories you've been telling me, all the vacations you were booking, it's not working at all. It's, it's like <laughs> it's only strengthening my resolve. All right, so if I bet on American fiction plus one twenty, so. Yeah. What, is, what does that mean again? The minus 0.5? So American Fiction has to have at least one more nomination in the big eight categories than Anatomy of a Fall for you to win. And if it's a push? Then Anatomy of a Fall wins. Oh, it's terrible. Or if I bet on Anatomy of a Fall plus 0.5 and it's a push. Then Anatomy of a Fall wins. Then you win. Wow. <sighs> I don't so know. basically, you're picking which one has more, except in the case of a push, than Anatomy of a Fall wins. All right, let me just let me let me lay it out there. I think they're okay. both going to get nominated for Best Picture, right. American Fiction, and Anatomy of a Fall. I think they're both going to get nominated for Best Screenplay. Okay. I think Jeffrey Wright and Sandra Huller are possibilities, but they're not probabilities necessarily in the lead categories. All right. And I think the directors are improbable in Best Director, but obviously momentum could sway and Cord Jefferson or Justine Trier could wind up in there. And then I think supporting categories, those are improbable at the moment. I would agree with that assessment. With the slight edge to... Slight edge to American fiction because you got some bigger names, mm-hmm. household names like Sterling K. Brown, who's been knocking on the door for a while. But there's nothing guaranteed that he's going to get in there. It's a loaded supporting actor category this year. So I would, all right, I would have to bet on Anatomy of a Fall then. Okay. Are you doing the full 150 to win 100? Sure. All right. Anatomy I don't. I don't fall. like it. I don't like. It. <laughs> You made me go against my instinct. Good, good. I want to corrupt you. <laughs> but the fact that you said if it's even, Anatomy of a Fall wins like the tiebreakers. That's why I put the spread out there. That's why Ugh. Vegas wins, baby. Just <laughs> awful. No, I'm glad. I wanted to do that. I wanted to do the palm winner against the TIFF winner and how you think those shake out. And I like you, you laid out the roadmap to begin all this, like, there is a much stronger correlation between the major Oscar categories if you win at TIFF than, ne- than necessarily if you do win at CAN, which is mm-hmm. kind of a big deal. And yet, nonetheless, you're talking about a 0.5 difference between the two in terms of big category nominations right now. And you're betting on the CAN winner right now, which is interesting just because of the odds and the 0.5. And the because of the odds. Because of yeah. the odds. I think American fiction has the higher ceiling, obviously yeah. has more 
recent momentum. It's going to be the new fun pick mm-hmm. for everybody. This is like an excruciating prop bet. <laughs> well, I'm glad I could put your mind in a pretzel in the mid, uh, mid-show mid moment here. All right. Well, let's finish with some tip-first reactions on the end of the festival. Just a couple movies here. We'll begin with Sly, the Sylvester Stallone documentary for Netflix. Should I do the entire review in his voice? Yes, no. please. Uh, 100% on six. <laughs> right to be the reviews. <laughs> Talking into the camera, Stallone's a good Oh no! <laughs> oh no! That is not. It's not sliced alone at all. <laughs> I lost it. I had it at one point, but I'm going full D Reynolds. I'm glad I didn't go into it. <laughs> Talking into the camera, Stallone tells great stories, and he makes his own journey irresistible. Some guy named Owen Gleiberman, some some alien. <laughs> Inhabiting Owen Gleiberman's <laughs> body like a husk. Yeah, that's crap. out of variety because he's Way too never positive that positive. For Mr. Gleiberman. I don't like it. And then an incredibly rewarding portrait of an artist from Maria E. Gates of Robert Ebert, Roger Ebert.com. Netflix acquiring a couple documentaries that we'll talk about, but Sly was its big name, Doc. I guess since Arnold, but this for this mm-hmm. year. Andrew Morgan's been down on that slate, by the way. I, I hope uh, for his sake they can get a few documentaries in. But um, Sylvester Stallone, uh, apparently it's much more of an edgier documentary than people would have thought. I would think he's got a fascinating backstory to tell. Hmm. I mean, anyone who was famous in the 80s, I feel like. That's just a, a, a closet full of skeletons that they can unleash any time. Um, we'll talk about Hell of a Summer next. This is the Finn Wolfhard horror comedy. He is behind the camera in his directorial debut for this. It's got a 67% right now and nine Rotten Tomato reviews. More of a campy comedy than scary movie. Hell of a Summer is pretty rough around the edges, but the craft surprised me. That's Hannah Lodge of Screen Rex. We also have Sarah Gopal of Digital Journal saying it's a deluded slasher comedy that's light on gory murders, but finds humor in the classic horror archetype yeah i heard a lot of people saying when i was 19 i was just drinking and partying and being an idiot <laughs> right and this kid's making a feature film right <laughs> and you know that they they talked about grading it on a curve and what does it mean and and all of these backhanded compliments that's what the rotten tomato review page was that being said if this is a fun slasher movie we're going to be in for this all day, right? Yeah, I was just going to say, probably much more of a completed film and a coherent everything than anybody who's commenting on it is capable of doing anyway. Right. <laughs> so I'm sure Finn Wolfhard put together something cool here. And he got, like, the greatest young cast that we've seen assembled in a while. So we'll have to we'll have to look out for Hell of a Summer. Uh, let's update you guys on the Fall Festival acquisitions. And we'll have another Reviewing the Reviewers segment here. But 824 acquired Sing Sing. This is the 100% on 11 reviews. Coleman, Domingo, Paul, Racy doing theater in Sing Sing Prison, I guess, right? Uh, yeah. And I, I, I like a theater workshop you know, with a lot of actors that actually came through that program in real life. So very that's cool. that's a very cool doc. Uh, I mean, I guess it's almost like a docu-style uh, narrative piece there. Netflix acquired Hitman. This was big news for $20 million, 98% on 42 Rotten Tomato reviews, 82 Metascore, Richard Linklater, Glenn Powell, Adria Arjona. I'm going to see it at the New York Film Festival. I'm excited for that. Hitman, a big money acquisition for Netflix. And then they acquired the Telluride documentary, about John Batiste called American Symphony. If you guys don't know, John Batiste is the composer of an Oscar winner from Soul, the Pixar mm-hmm. film. And I, I think he's kind of a big deal in the music industry as it is. Multi-Grammy hyphen it winner, right? He and, used to uh, be the, uh, the leader of the band for Stephen Colbert. There you go. The late show. Uh, he, he left uh, last year at some point. American Symphony, 75% on an early four Rotten Tomato reviews. Directed by Matthew Heinemann of Car- Cartel Land Retrograde. A couple good documentaries there, as well as A Private War, which was a... Remember she had the eye patch, the Gone Girl. Oh, what's her yes. name, please? Oh, good God. You know I, I can never come up with her actual name. You just call <laughs> no. her the... She's, you're very oh, yeah. afraid of her. Terrified of her. 
Because uh, that one film. There we go. American Symphony explores a year in the life of musician John Batiste, of course. I'll, I'll read some reviews while you Rosamund read up her name. Rosamund Pike. Rosamund Pike, of course. Rosamund Pike with an eye patch and a limp. Mm. A sometimes <laughs> joyful, sometimes somber celebration of spirit. That's Dan Feinberg of THR. A warm and lovely film. That's Chris Willman of Variety. And then the latter sections of American Symphony feel like a film checking off boxes from Batiste's year in 2022, though. That was Vikram Murky of IndieWire. So mostly positive, one kind of mix there. Mm. But uh, supposedly it's going to be a doc that contends, American Symphony. And I'm, I'm, I'm light this year on... You know, American documentaries that are definitely going to contend. I mean, this documentary feature category is kind of late to come together, at least for me. Kokomo City, a lot of people talking about it. I haven't watched it yet. It's on VOD. And then we have all the uh, Sundance stocks like we've been talking about, the Eternal Memory, Beyond Utopia, et cetera, et cetera, Mike. So, you know, maybe those will come back into the conversation. But I don't know, man. Documentary feature is weird. Let's recap the acquisition tally from the fall film festivals thus far. American Symphony joins Hitman, Mountain Queen, and Woman of the Hour as Netflix purchases. Neon has the rights to origin now. Uh, Mubi uh, grabbed Do Not Expect Too Much from the End of the World, which we had a lot of fun talking about last episode. Far too much fun, unfortunately. Uh, (laughs) We'll talk about one more documentary that could factor in. Maxine's Baby, the Tyler Perry story. That will be the centerpiece of the AFI Film Festival lineup. Maestro will be the closing night film. I'm sure any moment now, it might even happened already since we started recording, the AFI Film Festival will announce their complete lineup, Chicago, etc. A lot of the regional festivals are announcing their lineups. And uh, this, is, this is something to pay attention to because it's like a last shot in many a case, but it's also a spot, a couple spots here that have been, you know, populated by eventual Oscar nominees, Michael. Yeah, the closing night film at AFI Festival, especially the last few years, has kind of been uh, a smorgasbord. You've had some real contenders, and then you've had some stuff that we thought were going to be contenders that maybe stayed on the fringe of awards conversation. Last year, the closer uh, was the U.S. premiere of The Fablemans. Mm. King Richard closed AFI Fest in 2021. The weird year of 2020, it was closed by My Psychedelic Love Story from Errol Morris. (laughs) <laughs> the Banker closed it in 2019. Mary Queen of Scots did so in 2018. Molly's Game closed it in 2017. So you've had, you know, pick and choose. You've had huge Oscar success and some stuff that we thought might be big Oscar players that maybe fell short somewhere along the way there. So uh, going to be interesting to see where Maestro fits in on that spectrum. All right, we'll move on to an Oscar trailer segment now. I think it's just the one of, of uh, Dream Scenario. A24's Nicolas Cage is in everybody's dreams. <laughs> Weirdo, Charlie Kaufman-esque movie, 77 Metascore, Christopher Borgli, Borg, Borgli? There you go. Excuse me. Nicolas Cage, Julianne Nicholson, Tim Meadows, a hapless family man finds his life turned upside down when millions of strangers suddenly start seeing him in their dreams. When his nightmare, when his nighttime appearances take a nightmarish turn, Paul is forced to navigate his newfound stardom. So we have the... The Cranberries dreams. I am totally spitting with this. Like, I there's nothing that the Cranberries dream will not make me want to watch more. Mm. I almost watched the Babysitters Club movie back in the day because the trailer had <laughs> dreams by Cranberries in it. I remember that. The Loris are reared and singing those chants with the guitar. I don't know that I believe in mind control, but like. If I ever do get possessed by Mugatu to kill the Prime Minister of Malaysia, it's going to be that song that's the trigger. The Babysitter's Club. What yes. year was that? 20? What What year was that? Oh, wait. 1995. Like 96 or something. Yeah, 95, sure. Oh, my sure. God. I was going to say, I, I, if that was early 2000s, I was gonna, that would be it. You, were just, <laughs> you would be the 2004 2003, guy. 2003. You know it. You love it. You missed it. <laughs> <laughs> You're still caught there. Uh, the dream enactments are the funniest parts of this trailer. Like, he's got the crazy smile, and he's walking slow. He's got the... Like the big scissor, he's got all kinds of weird stuff. The crocodile scene, like that's going to be worth the price of admission right there. Nicholas Cage just going ham in every dream, right? So this is positioned as a comedy. All the poll quotes in the trailer say it's a comedy. You say you found humor in that. When I have nightmares, those are what my nightmares are. It's just people like standing still and there's horrifying context going on around it. 
So if I saw Nicolas Cage in my dream just staring at me awkwardly while, like, crocodiles were crawling and people were falling from balconies, I'd be terrified. I keep having this terrible nightmare. I'm at my grandmother's. Let's just talk about our nightmares now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm at my grandmother's when I'm a kid, and it's, like, all underwater, and there's giant sharks and crocodiles everywhere. Interesting. Okay. Terrifying. Like, giant. So, like, I'm, I'm, like, you know, from... Uh, what was that uh, crazy show or crazy video game? Like the they, they, the monsters would like eat the buildings. Uh, uh, you Road way more specific. Something rage. <laughs> uh, rampage. <laughs> rampage. Rampage. Like those size monsters. Terrifying. Giant. What if sharks. one of those? What if those giant sharks were being ridden by Nicolas Cage? Would that freak you out more or less? Less actually. Okay. Uh, no, right. I think <laughs> it's Nicol- safe space. But like in your dream, if he's just standing there with a crazy smile in the middle of it, may- that might make me freak out. More. Yeah, it scares the hell out of me. Wow. So this is this is more in the line of uh, Bo is afraid for you right now than. I, to me, this was a score away from being a trailer for a horror movie. Hmm. Hmm. It felt a little Bo is Afraidish, which was a horror movie essentially. Yeah, but right. uh, I'm I'm gonna hope that it's more of a comedy. The celebrity, it seems to be. yeah, the celebrity stuff is obviously taking a, a turn for the horrifying, I guess. But that's kind of funny too. I also like that they they hit the hammer on the head, they, you know, right on the nose with the the Freddy Krueger tie-in with the photo yeah. shoot with the hand claw there. I'm totally in though. Yeah, looks interesting. Uh, we'll move on. We'll finish up with kind of a multi-hyphenate segment in its own right here. I don't know why I've used that phrase for the second time this episode. Box office update. Make the case. What we're watching. It's everything. Let's begin with The Nun 2. The Nun 2 obviously had the number one spot last weekend as well. This weekend, $14.7 million. With a 158, I think it's up to 160 something now total after Monday. There, 60 million dollar budget, Michael. Where did that come from? A 60? That's almost three times the nuns, the nun ones budget, which I'm just going to call the nun. Uh, more power to everybody, I guess. 22 million dollar budget for the nun. It ended up grossing 365 million worldwide. That's a multiple of more than 16 and a half times for every dollar of production. The sequel, though, is tracking to do well short of that. The Nun 2 has a $56 million domestic box office through its first two weekends. That's about $30 million short of what The Nun did through its first two weekends. Mm. I, $60 million, I would not have guessed, would be the budget for this. You saw it last night. Is is $60 million on screen anywhere? Yeah, there's a lot of VFX. I think that's where it is. I wonder if this was a, a COVID-delayed production at all. Okay. I'm not sure. I, I don't know. I just wonder just if it was. The, you think the money got out of control? You think that's where it went? Did the money get out of control? Yeah. I don't know. Did they have a, a pause in production? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, the Nun 2, I'm going to call it also zero because that's either a math <laughs> joke or I'm referring to the villain of the never-ending story. Either way, <laughs> this terrible comedy by me is about as interesting as the Nun 2. Wow, not a fan, huh? I just, or you had a great comedy. <laughs> I mean, it's fine. Like, I know the ju- I'm going to get a jump scare every 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. It's just, like, so formulaic. I, it's a Catholic superhero film. I mean, you got the powers of dreams and visions and relics and rituals. And it's just, like, one piece of dogma after the next. Did the power I, of Christ compel you? <laughs> I feel like they're trying to recruit nuns, the clergy. They're trying to recruit clergy based on <laughs> these nun films. It's a unique approach to do it. <laughs> yeah, I think kids, you know, and these kids are running around the theater like crazies. All of these little kids in my theater, they're coming in and out. Like every every kid who's sneaking into a theater, they're, they're running in or out. They're all talking loud, all these teeny boppers. Uh, tweenies. Where are their parents? I don't an know. Movie? I don't know, but like the kids in the movie are doing around. stupid stuff. The kids in my theater are doing stupid stuff. I'm surrounded by kids all the time. I can't get away from them. This is why I rooted for the entity and talked to me. <laughs> I think I was rooting for the nun. I was rooting for Valak. Kill them all, nunny. 
I love the goat monster. By the way, there's a goat monster. Okay. Spoiler alert. But the goat monster, I would like a spin-off movie on him uh, or her, whoever. And just call it goat monster. Goat monster. <laughs> Give me the goat monster. Goat so, monster. <laughs> like, but I don't remember the nun one. Do you remember a groundskeeper? Like somewhere in the anyway, the groundskeeper. Like I could give you a thousand guesses to name name him, and I, I could have the same thousand guesses at what his name is, and I've totally forgotten from last night because I don't give a crap. Seamus? No. Oh, all right. <laughs> Nine hundred ninety-nine more to go. It's like the playing ninety-nine bottles of beer on the wall for a podcast. Joe. You thought the you thought talking about the prop bets was bad podcasting. <laughs> George. Just listing nine hundred names. So I would like a spin off movie for the goat monster. I'm probably done with the nun. However, I'm gonna ask you a prop bet now. Okay. Will there be a nun three? Oh. Okay. What odds you give me? Yeah yes. I'm saying it's probably gonna be a nun three. I'm thinking. So I'll give you like eh, I'll, I'll give you a little bit different minus seven fifty. Okay. Yes, there'll be a nun three. Will there be a nun four? I'll give you a plus a thousand on that. Because this movie's profitable still. So I don't get to pick. No, there won't be a nun three for odds. Yeah, you just stay away. All right. I mean, do you want to? I mean, you really no, want to bet? No. I just I just want to know what the odds are. You just want me to give you an odd number. <laughs> well, like. I mean, what? That's exactly what I want. <laughs> plus nine hundred. All right. Well, maybe give me plus nine hundred. That's I, I sixty million. It's done fifty six domestically, hundred and some odd. It's yeah. probably going to be profitable. You're probably right. So yeah, I mean, I think yes is probably the safe bet. I don't know that I would touch it at minus seven fifty, but I do think we are going to get. A nun three. I, I'd probably bet on no for a nun four. I don't know that I'd. Well, it yeah, doesn't I'm, matter. You're not offering it. I, I'm I, not offering. Yeah, I don't. I don't. This is going to be a trilogy, and we've heard talking about the Conjuring universe previously how they want to blow everything out to having franchises about different entities in their films, right? Mm-hmm. So they have said that. I think we're going to have like a Thin Man or whatever type movie next. But yeah, I would say yes for a nun three, even though I probably wouldn't put money on minus seven fifty. Hmm. Well, window goat monster <laughs> could be fun. All right, uh, a haunting in Venice got second place in its opening weekend, which is just horrible. Fourteen point five million off a sixty million dollar budget. It did a little better internationally, uh, you know, for a thirty seven point two worldwide cume after the weekend, but that's. That's not very good on a, on that sixty million dollar budget, Michael. You saw this one as well, yes? Yeah, I wish I didn't. I mean, it's fine. It's another wow. movie that's fine, but it, like these, I mean, I feel like I'm in a movie slump. It is September. Going, after going to a haunting in Venice and the Nun Two this week, I feel like I'm in a movie slump, and it's just like these movies are well acted and produced, and just it just doesn't deliver like what you'd hope. Like the mystery should be the selling point. But the mystery was very predictable, and ultimately, I feel like that's why we go to these movies, to be wowed and puzzled by the whodunit. No? Yeah, and to laugh, to cry, to care. <laughs> yeah, that's why we go. I don't laugh. I don't <laughs> cry, certainly. I don't care about the mustaches. The mustache is half the size. puddles on the way in. Yeah. His mustachio is half the size as it used to be. That's the problem. Well, but that's okay. how you know he's losing confidence in the series himself, Kenneth Branagh. <laughs> I want to see him taking full bites of all of his pastries with that mustache. <laughs> but we were shown the pastries. They look like beautiful little quail's eggs, whatever they are, from Venice. But Ew. we don't watch him eating the pastries. He eats pastries like a fat fuck every morning. <laughs> and we don't get, excuse me, like... We don't get to watch him do that. I'm a the bad venom person. is seeping out of you. Anyway, I. This is what happens when also Mike doesn't get a good movie, people. Hercule Perrault. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't even need his help anymore because 
look, I know not to pat myself on the back, but I'm ahead of this movie the whole time, and I don't think I'm doing a great job. It's just like they telegraph the next twist. You know, Michelle like, Yeoh did it. She 50, did it. I 50, see it. 50, 20 minutes before that twist happens, I'm like, all right, that's probably going to go down. Then this next thing, and then there's going to be like four or five things going on here. And I was right every single time. So, like, what good is what good is this movie for me? Inspector also make. <laughs> Maybe you need to grow an obnoxiously large mustache. I should be Just the go next. around the valley solving capers. Heck, <laughs> the French hate us, don't they? They just hate. They hate <laughs> us with a passion. Uh, o for two. It sounds like in terms of the nun and a haunting in Venice for also Mike. There, Equalizer three is not doing well either it's got a 70 million dollar budget it finished third at the box office with a 7.2 million dollar rake this week it's up to 132 million worldwide not even at two to one yet for its budget my big fat greek wedding finished fourth the only one movies that are doing well right mm. now in september are the ones that came out before september such as barbie still doing almost four million dollars it's up to 1.4 billion worldwide mm. uh Oppenheimer still pulled in $2 million. It's up to $912 million worldwide. Otherwise, it's kind of a mad box office, which we kind of were warning all leading up to September long. So Dumb Money is going to be the big release this weekend? Or I don't know if that's the big release, but Dumb Money with an estimated 60 to $70 million budget, though, Michael. That's scary to me. Like That's, that's like the Nun 2 numbers. <laughs> that, that, that movie needs to make what if there's a horrifying nun in Dumb Money? Does that make it better? <laughs> Probably, but okay. Expend Forbles is the other big movie this weekend. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I would bust out the Sylvester Stallone again, but I don't want to embarrass myself. I think I, we need just some good word of mouth for Dumb Money to get... I feel like there's not a whole lot of... Ex- I didn't even know that movie was coming out this weekend. I thought it was right. next weekend. They've been moving it around. Yeah. I want to see Jawan, the Indian film... I want to see Dumb Money. I think we're gonna, you know, we're gonna see Dumb Money ourselves, and then decide to do an episode or not on it. Mm-hmm. But uh, looking forward to that. I think uh, I think my movie slump continued though in this make the case what we're watching segment. Oh, no. I, I'll go quick, Michael, because I don't have a lot to say. But El Conde, the Count, yep, the uh, Pablo Lorraine film, the vampire the, movie, vampire black and white. Other than some like fun wire work and some drone shots and i guess green screen like this movie is a very boring senior citizen vampire film a senior citizen vampire yeah like if if it's a movie just about like senior citizen vampires where nobody's athletic can do nothing (laughs) they can't fight they're just walking around talking shit imagine a vampire combine and i don't <laughs> i don't laugh at anything like i so i i think you need to understand the decades of political history here and i'm just ignorant so this is probably a me problem but el conde the count there is a huge letdown cuz people loved that out of the festivals yeah they, they were they C- were minus. Fans of that, but yeah all right well, come like you said your 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 issues are are prolonged here at home too Destination NBA, a G League Odyssey. I was saving this to watch on Amazon Prime. It was Bill Simmons' documentary. You got a, too many subjects. There's like five or six dudes that this G League movie is about, this basketball story is about. Like, just make it about three guys. Like, really? we could focus on the three guys, but instead it's a movie about like five or six guys. Plus, they take a huge interlude for the Pat McClung dunk contest there, which was fun, but... It wasn't like behind the scenes for him, huh? That was you. You didn't like this one either. No, I was like a C is fine. It's That's okay interesting because in for us, Bill Simmons' Helm documentary, and he's been hyping this one up on his podcast for months. He usually does right by us. Yes, I mean the last documentary he did for HBO was the Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant, one, yeah, which was great, and obviously really he's good. behind all the thirty for thirties. Yeah, this was lame. This was not a good documentary. I was looking forward to that one, too. All right. You've murdered my expectations for it. I can't watch it now. Screw it. So so here's all I got for you. I got Winning Time Season 2, which I like, to stay on the basketball theme. Great, great season. How dare Zaslov do what? I mean, to to air the finale of that and then wait till after the finale's over, the night of, to be like, by the way, the show's canceled. It's awful. 
It's awful. To get closure, I had to watch episode three of Celtics-Lakers Best of Enemies, the 30 for 30 series. Because it literally picked up. So if you guys watched Winning Time and you need closure and you feel awful after that season ended on what is essentially a cliffhanger. Except for me, I'll be all excited. Except for you, obviously, because where it ended. But like, yay! <laughs> Screw you, Magic! Back. You never win a title. <laughs> Pat Riley, Magic and Cookie, Jeannie and Jerry. Those stories should have kept going, man. And especially the Magic Bird stuff. The Magic Bird stuff was just kicking in. So I got to watch a courtship of rivals because HBO did a great documentary, yeah, Magic and Bird. Why rush to cancel it? I, I don't know. It's some of the greatest sports filmmaking i've ever seen just you have to watch it for that reason i want i want to watch it but i also don't know if i like i've come i've hovered over it so many times but i'm just like this is a lakers dynasty show you know it's a lakers dynasty show you know your favorite team are the bad guys (laughs) yeah but the bad guys kind of win i mean that makes me smile that you might like it for that reason. So uh, that's all I got for people. Like Winning Time season two and this Netflix rom com that actually turned out to be pretty good. Like shockingly good in the middle of it. Like the first act is stupid. I almost shut it off. Love at first sight. Love at first sight stars Haley Lou Richardson of White Lotus season two. Columbus oh, I have support such the girls. A crush on her. Ben Hardy of, of Bohemian Rhapsodies and a bunch of other stuff. I mean, Dexter Fletcher, Rob Delaney, Sally Phillips, Jamila Jamil is the narrator slash like Cupid throughout the good cast. Good cast. Now, I realize I am old watching Mm -hmm. Love at First Sight because I care about the happiness and the well-being of the parents so much more than I do about the kids. I could give two shits about these stupid kids who don't exchange phone numbers like Young normal people. Young love is dumb, and you're only going to screw it up anyway. You spend seven hours on a flight together, and you're too dumb to exchange phone numbers, emails, Facebook. And they make a joke about it in the movie, but you deserve you deserve to lose the a love lifetime of, your life. of loneliness. You deserve it. But there's such great stories with the parent-kid relationships that eventually I'm pulled back into wanting these kids to get back together. And there's actually some some maturity to these relationships because they don't go well. And uh, I, I give this movie a lot of credit. It was like one of these surprisingly sad romantic comedies that brings me back to like, remember that, oh God, Daenerys Targaryen's in the movie with... The, yeah, the... Uh... the, 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 the the jitterbug last christmas last christmas george michael i wanted to call him boy george so badly and i knew that was wrong (laughs) amelia clark was in the george michael oh god there's uh, no way anybody could listen to these episodes what are we doing (laughs) no we're stumbling over ourselves trying to think of names of famous people numbers just completely we were if shot. we don't have them written down ahead of time we are screwed we're so shot yeah i should have wrote them down i guess but that i'm in a movie slump i'm in a movie slump love at first sight is the best i got for the folks that would have been a good prop bet if you gave if i gave you this slate of films before you watched any of them and then like, put odds on which one you would yeah. have enjoyed most because love at first sight would have been like a plus 800 mm-hmm. el conde would have hammered that yeah that's why they you know. play the games, I guess. I, I watched a couple things. Good. Uh, Please. Theater, but they, no, I have I have a two C pluses as well. I'm nothing oh, no. crazy. Theater camp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Look, <laughs> I don't think I can watch anything with Ben Platt in it. <laughs> I just think I have a grudge against him, and I didn't even realize it. Well, now you realize it. Yeah, I, I don't. It was so cringe. And he's very good at being cringe-inducing, him and Molly Gordon both, which is their role to play. I thought Molly Gordon was very funny. She's good. The most I laughed was at Ao Edabiri mm-hmm. when she's she, trying to make yeah. everything the Jabberwockies. And that was so good. And she's yeah. only in the movie for like 15 minutes total, right. but she's great. Noah but- Galvin's pretty funny. Yeah, he is too. Yeah. I, I mean, there's there's the little kid who's playing the agent. I've laughed at a couple times. Like there are mm-hmm. moments that are laugh out loud funny in this. I just think I held it against it because 
I, I, it cringed. I cringed hard at a couple parts. Mm. But it was the, I mean, maybe I was supposed to. So maybe I'm doing exactly what they want. And this should be an A minus. I don't know. Well, I gave it a C plus. All of the Jimmy Tatro son of the camp. And he's, so, he is so <laughs> excruciatingly. Just a bro. Broish, yeah, I hate him so much. And the way it ends with the title cards and how everything wraps up, so like, there are moments that are brilliantly funny in this. Yeah, so theater um, theater camp is if you can stand the awkward right. comedy, right. right? I just genuinely think Ben Platt might be like that in real life. Honestly, I think I gave it like a low B B minus myself. So I mean, right. all right, that's our Mike Mike right Mike and Mike curve. Um, the beanie bubble. Okay. 79 C plus it's on that B minus line right. I, the method of the way the story is told to me mm. is more entertaining than what's being told in the story itself <laughs> um you didn't you, you disagree what's with the laughing I, I just like you're getting very uh meta here you're like this well the, the way narrative that, device <laughs> the I approve of. the two the two timelines converge mm. in that I, I, I like that idea more than I like the story being, I, I don't know, the story was kind of, and the finale I thought was clunky for me, right. but I thought there was also, like, the performances of both Galifianakis and Geraldine Viswanathan I thought were great. Right, yeah. So, yeah, there's plenty to like in both those two movies. It's just like, you know, they're not going to blow you away, I don't think. Entertaining, engaging, but a lot of highs and lows. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of highs and lows is a good way you to know, play. You know, it was a crisp... Solid watch, love at first sight, crisp and solid, and <laughs> gave you what you wanted. No, <laughs> that movie was also kind of high. I mean, the the middle highs were so high. Anyway, did you watch anything else? Just no. Well, things? I finished the practice season uh, season seven. I uh, all twenty two episodes. Excuse me while I bite my tongue off. <laughs> no, I mean, all right. I mean, that's how many episodes are there of the practice how many seasons do you know any seven idea? I, that was the last one oh seven my God. I think. and so and that was back in the network television days where every network show was 22 episodes uh 22 or 24 a year it's also interesting how that was a, a narrative show and yet even though it was a primetime show on a broadcast network there's still and there was an overarching storyline for the entire season kind of mm-hmm. they still weren't we weren't yet in the area where it was guaranteed to have a beginning, middle and end for an overarching storyline for a season. You mm. know what I mean? Like the, the show just kind of ends when it ends. <laughs> like winning time. Yeah. More or less, more or less. They tried to wrap it up with a, a over and it just, eh, it was fine. But uh, James Spader is very, very good in it in that season. And I uh, look forward to starting Boston legal. Wait, you're not going to watch the next six seasons of The Practice? That's it? No, I wanted, I wanted to watch the last season because that's what James Spader's character Oh, you starts. said you watched the last season. And then okay. he goes into uh, Boston Legal, him and uh, William Shatner. Okay. I should pay attention better. No, uh, or don't. Whatever. Reservation Dogs, I'm going to finish. I'm going to finish Ahsoka. I'm going to finish Harley Quinn. I'm kind of watching those. Seinfeld. Ahsoka good? Ahsoka's... Pff, here's the thing about Ahsoka. If you care, if you're like the Californians and you need to know how to get to point A to B to, because they planet hop, right? And you, if you got to be like, yeah, you got to go to the 405, and then the, you know, if you really care about directions, like these characters for you. don't give a shit. Okay, like it's so dumb. Well, just, just catch a ride with the, you know. La di da, just uh, written by a bunch take of take the four hundred five down to PCH. Hippie hitchhikers rode Ahsoka. They don't give a darn about actually getting from point A to point B. However, okay. however, like the the VFX, the lightsabers, all that stuff is great. It's fun. This is one of the better Star Wars shows in a while. All right, well that's overall positive. It's uh, probably next to Andor and early seasons of The Mandalorian. Um, Seinfeld's been great. I'm, I'm in. I'm like towards the end of season six now. All right, give me a recent episode. Well, I fa- the last episode I watched, I actually fast forwarded to the soup Nazi. Just like oh, I was, just, I was kind of yes. looking at all the episodes that are coming up, and I just had to watch that one again. All timer. I actually all-timer. seen that episode before. Of course, one of the but, greatest uh, episodes of television ever made. Yeah, it was really funny. Yeah. And then otherwise, I, I forget. I had, uh, no more soup, Jerry. No more soup. 
I watched. I'm going so, home to get a big pot. I watched so many over the weekend. I think I watched like 14 in a row. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome, my friend. <laughs> Just complete. Like, I, I, I'm i arguing with people about inane nonsense <laughs> because I'm turning into Larry David. But I, I guess what I'm I, I wanted to get to the point where, like, I'm, or, so you're going to watch Boston Legal. Yeah. And that's going to be your weekend? <laughs> possibly. I don't Dumb know. Dumb money, Boston Legal, <laughs> and WNBA bets. Very, very possible. That could be my weekend. Yes. We're shot. That's what this episode's about. We are effing shot. We're old. We're shot. We're old and we're shot. Because it lives young in, love. It lives inside. No one will save you. These are you know these are movies coming out. This it week, lives right? inside does intrigue me because I have no idea what that movie's about. Hmm. Loki season two next week, right, or two weeks from now? Couldn't care less. <laughs> Boston legal, baby. <laughs> oh, reptile comes out a week early. Oh, Florence, okay. no, but right. Florence Sun, Cassandro, Henry Sugar next week. Florence Sun and Cassandro, I do want to see. Uh, Henry okay. Sugar, I, we will see. Mm-hmm. Henry, Henry Sugar is Netflix, right? Yeah, it's just a short yeah. film. It's yeah. like thirty minutes. Yeah, I can get watch that real quick, and then get right back to Boston legal. <laughs> <laughs> it's on Hulu, by the way. Um, guys, as always, oh, what matters most to us are your thoughts on the TIFF Audience Award winner, on the uh, the preview we had in this episode, on any of the strike news, anything that we say here in the MMO Empire, we want to hear back from you. You can leave us those thoughts, comments, questions, and concerns on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram, at MM and Oscar on Twitter or X, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available wherever you do hear podcasts. If you're listening to us on either the Apple Podcasts or Spotify app, if you appreciate what we do here, if you would not mind leaving us a five-star review on those apps, those help us out immensely. Thank you to everyone who has done so thus far. Uh, Michael, you've already kind of clued the people in, but tell them what's coming next, and let's have some words of wisdom to end on. Well, it's wise to get a life, apparently. <laughs> neither one of us have Outside one. of the mid-2000s, anyway. <laughs> Just leave that there. Otherwise, what's coming next? I hope Dumb Money. I hope Dumb Money's good enough to do... An yeah, Oscar's profile on, I think so, based on the reviews. What, so, have you checked on what it's carrying so far? Well, it got up to like 80-something percent, but it's not like in everybody's Oscar predictions. Yeah. That's the thing. Like, we may see it, and some news may break, and we're just like, all right, another Oscar race checkpoint, here we come. So I don't want to say we're definitely doing a full film study on it, but I do want to watch it. Here's something I do want to watch as well. That There's a Netflix docu-series called Eat the Rich. About the GameStop saga that I'll probably watch as well as Dumb Money or like a I companion think, piece. I think I watched that. Is that new or is that like... No, it's old. It's old. Yeah, it's been in my queue forever. That. You probably did. Yeah. But I watched the big short this weekend, by the way, too, because I was trying to get in the Dumb Money mode. Great movie. Yeah, it was pretty good. Just just a fantastic movie. Freaking Ryan Gosling kills me in that movie. He's so good. <laughs> a pumped, a pumped to the tits. It's <laughs> exactly. I, I was dying. He was funnier in that movie than he is in the Nice Guys. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a that's a hell of a take. I would have to rewatch the Nice Guys. It's been a while. He's he's just hit and miss in the Night Guys. Some of the jokes don't work. <laughs> should have actually got drunk. Is what he should have done. Because I could tell he's faking drunk drunkenness. Nobody likes a fake drunk Ryan. Nobody likes a fake drunk Ryan Gosling. <laughs> well, that's on the horizon from us. Uh, as always, dear listener, I already did this shtick, but uh, when we, uh, let's just end, Mike. When reality sucks, <laughs> you can race to the finish line of an episode with us. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See ya. See ya.